You are listening to the Zen Nova Scotia podcast with talks by Cone Franz. These talks are made possible in part by generous donations from our listeners. To find out how to support and take part in our community, visit zennovascotia.com. I was fishing around earlier for something to talk about, and I got a request, or a question. And the question was, how does a weak-minded person change bad habits? It's a pretty good question. I think we've all faced this question. But it's a great question in part because each part of it requires a little bit of time. So let's start with being weak-minded. Understanding the way that the question was asked, the first thing to acknowledge is that everyone is weak-minded. Everyone. This entire religion or philosophy or way or practice is actually based on that idea. (laughs) that absolutely everyone is an addict of something. Or I should say that absolutely everyone is an addict of the same thing, and then we each have our own personal addictions as well. We're addicted to our own stories. We're addicted to our own excuses. We're addicted to our own limitations. And then beyond that, we have these things that seem difficult for us, these things that that trap us. And for some people, it's a substance. For some people, it's a habit. There are others who seem to have qualities that we wish we had. You know, there are people who have incredible concentration, for example. They can just focus. Or there are people who have this kind of will that that enables them to follow through on anything that they start. And if that does not come easily to you, you look at that and you think, wow, I'm failing. (laughs) Right? But that person, whoever that person is, the person that you're imagining as having the qualities that you want, there is a smell that she cannot walk away from. (laughs) There is a memory that she cannot let go of. There is a story about herself that is so deeply ingrained that, that not only can she not imagine questioning it, but she takes a big hit off of it every day. Just to reaffirm who she is in the world. This is everyone. So when the question is, how does a weak-minded person change bad habits? I just want to clarify, this is a good question because this is about everyone. (laughs) That's one way to talk about being weak-minded. But there's another way that's 
that's maybe more important. When I look at myself and I recognize that I, uh, I have my little, my kryptonites, you know, these things that seem to knock me off course no matter what I'm doing or what I intend. I might look at myself and I say, oh, I'm weak. I'm so weak, or at least I'm weak in the face of that. My mind is weak. But then who is saying that? What's my vantage point when I say that my mind is weak? Where am I locating myself in relationship to my mind? Where do I think that exists? There's something really beautiful about phrases like weak-minded. Or, or another one uh, that we use all the time, oh, she lost her mind. Uh-huh. Right. Because in these phrases... That, that speak to a kind of narrow reality, we're also acknowledging without, without quite getting it, the bigger truth. It's, it's like I was thinking, it's like a billboard that's on a really busy stretch of road where you always have to merge and, and there are lots of cars and you see it every day, but you never have the time. You never have the time to really just grasp what the billboard is saying. In the same way, we have these messages that are coming up, even within the culture, all the time that are saying, hey, what you think your mind is, is not your mind. (laughs) If I say I lost my mind, I'm actually acknowledging that my mind is small. I'm acknowledging that my mind is not the ground of where I am. Because if it were, I wouldn't be able to say it. Right? If you really lost your mind, you wouldn't be able to say you'd lost your mind. But we lose track of our mind. That's the point. This thing that we say is my mind or her mind or his mind... That's like this suitcase that we carry around that's full of our limitations. <laughs> it's full of the story that makes us feel concrete and real and safe in the world. And occasionally something so traumatic happens that we misplace it and we don't know what to do. <laughs> and then we say, oh, I lost my mind. <laughs> but we're standing in an airport looking for a suitcase. And we're imagining that the suitcase is the place where we live. We watch our minds all the time, this thing that we call the mind. And we're doing it right now. You're listening to me and you're having ideas that come up in relationship to what I'm saying. But now I'm pointing that out to you. And now you're noticing, now you're starting to have ideas about the ideas. 
And that's a step back. And now you can choose to step back again and think about the ideas that you have about the ideas about the ideas. And you can watch how you're holding these, these Russian dolls. And you keep stepping back. And you keep stepping back. And you keep stepping, stepping back. To what? This is where even this tradition, which really, really is invested in this question, flounders a little bit. Because what do you call it? Is it ground? If we say ground, that has a really nice feeling to it, but it also suggests that there's a stopping point. Ground exists in relationship to something. Mm -hmm. I don't know what to call this. Sometimes in the tradition we call it mind or we call it the true mind or the big mind. What's really critical about that understanding of mind is it's, it's not as if you go through practice and you come to your senses. Right? It's not as if you were in this small mind and then through whatever experience you expand and then you arrive at this big mind, though it can feel that way. It's that you are already... completely fully in that big mind. Completely. Within it, you may be nearsighted, you may be farsighted. It may seem that, that, that the lights are dimmed. But according to this tradition and to many traditions, there is no experience you can have that makes it bigger. There is no moving from a small room to a big room. The small room is in the big room. You're always in the big room. I've mentioned before there are teachers who who made it their practice uh, to set up little little sitting stones overlooking the sea. Mm-hmm. And they go up every morning behind their temple and they'd sit on this and they just look out over the ocean. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really natural impulse mm-hmm. in relationship to what I'm talking about. To just to make the physical container so big <laughs> that you start to feel at home in the reality of where you are. So on this level, it's not possible to have a weak mind. <laughs> there is no weak or strong or big or small or powerful or focused or disciplined. There's just this infinite expanse of where you are. Where you already are. Where you are always resting. 
but where in all likelihood you don't quite feel at ease. What's the opposite of claustrophobia? There has to be a word because it's our basic condition. Right? It's too big. And when we notice it, and, and usually we can't, we don't register that we're noticing it, but when we sense the scale of it, we kind of go into our turtle shell, right? We retreat. It's overwhelming. But just as in the physical world, you can't make your world smaller, no matter how hard you try or if you decide to sleep in a coffin, you also can't make your mind smaller. You can't. You can only pretend. That's part one. Part two is this question of how do we change bad habits? There's, there's a lot of talk in Buddhism about refraining from negative actions. And that's important. We have the three pure precepts. You do only good, you do no evil, and you do good for the sake of others. There's do no evil. Mm-hmm. Right. It matters. But, but there we start to see some, we see some different interpretations about how to respond to that. And so there are some parts of the tradition, of the larger tradition, that focus very, very strongly on this refraining. Right? There's a kind of, there's an emphasis on keeping things very pure. It's like keeping your room clean all the time. So that any time you see any dust collect, you sweep it up. Mm-hmm. Right. You never put a book out of place. Right. You never leave a dish to be washed. And so in your personal life, you, you're, you're always very cautious about what you're doing. And you're kind of holding back. And there's a lot of strength to that kind of practice. But, but then in other parts of the tradition, where Zen situates itself, it's not really framed like that. It's not framed so much as refraining as it is doing. And so the emphasis is no longer on changing bad habits, but on cultivating good ones. How do you cultivate a positive habit? And then where do your so-called bad habits fit? That becomes the interesting question, I think. What does it mean to live out vow? We could get into all sorts of, you know, we could say I want to practice piano for an hour a day or whatever that is. But that's, in the grand scheme of things, that's very, things, that's very small. So let's talk about vow. If we want to cultivate good habits... What are we cultivating in relationship to vow? 
what are we choosing to see? What are we choosing to hear? What are we choosing to embrace? Right? Every day, every moment of every day. And then once we start to have a clear vision of that, what it is that we're trying to do for others, then we can start asking ourselves, what's in the way? What deep grooves have I formed for myself that make it difficult for me to serve in the way that I want to serve and to move in the ways that I want to move? So that when we're addressing those bad habits, those so-called bad habits, it's not because we're aiming for a certain kind of purity. It's not because we're having a contest with ourselves about whether we can win or lose. It's not about about uh, being the victor over the mind. It's understanding this straight line, this trajectory that we've set ourselves on, and, and clearing out of that road anything that gets in our way. So that if compulsive eating, for example, is getting in the way, we stop and we say, I need to address this. Right? Again, not to win, not because it's good, not because it's bad, but because it's a hindrance. I find that I can't move freely. I find that I can't serve that person there because every time I go there, I get stuck here. Now, of course, you want to think about your health. You want to think about these the kind of the, the science of your life and we're told every day a new thing that we should do or that we shouldn't do or that we should drink an ounce of every day or that we should never touch again mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with having that knowledge but as a baseline i i would invite you and i'm i'm this is a pep talk from me <laughs> you're just invited i would invite you to let go for a moment of the, the kind of cleanliness of getting all of that right and instead refocus and ask yourself, what do I want to do and what's in my way? And I think what you'll find is that some of those same things that the doctors say you're not supposed to do are in your way. Right, But you might also find that some of the things that the doctors tell you not to do don't really seem to be obstructing your bodhisattva path. <laughs> and maybe, maybe you can sleep a little bit. Maybe you can breathe a little bit. Maybe you can forgive yourself a little bit your relationship to cheesecake or whatever that is. Keep your eye on that thing that's, that's pulling you, this string attached to your chest that, that pulls you forward. The thing that makes this path interesting to you, the thing that speaks to you, the thing that says, this is not, not who you should become, but who you're uncovering. This is the thing that's obscured. Again, don't worry about whether it's obscured to anyone else. 
that's obscured from yourself. And deal with it. And I suspect, or at least I know from my own experience, that when I see something in that way, not as a self-help project, not as, as a contest, but as an imperative of vow, it changes everything. And I'll stop there. For more information about Zen, our practice, and how you can support and take part in our community, please visit zennovascotia.com.